Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, with me in the studio today is still my new producer, Mr. Dan Arnfeld. He has not quit on me. Say hello, Dan. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you. Also, with me again in the studio today is my best friend in literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. Welcome Hello again. Thank you. Oh, wow. He's just really excited. Sorry. You, you, you paused just long enough for me. <laughs> I thought you were stopped. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But welcome back into the studio. Thank you. Uh, you make it fun. That's why it's, it's, it's so good to not be in the studio alone. But I'm never alone because Dan's always here. <laughs> but I'm going to make him start talking one of these days. All right. For today's program, what we want to do is we want to go back and finish what we started last week, and it was titled The Jeroboam Story. So we're going to finish that, but we're also going to slip into chapters 81 and 91. And again, one of the things for all of you out here, this is a little special ad. Um, this book is a challenge to read, yet when we go through it and we mine the depths locked in the pages of Harmon Melville's Melvie Dick, we discover the novel gives incredible insights into today's society woes, and especially our destructive governmental leadership. So in other words, this book is still current today, even though it was written in the 1850s. That's the point I'm trying to make. All right, so let's cover what did we not get through on the Jeroboam story? Well, we got through most of it. The only thing was at the end of the chapter, the fanatical prophet... <laughs> aboard aboard the other ship uh what was the other ship's name again the Pequod and then the, the Pequod. and yeah. then it came across the Jeroboam and the Jeroboam had Gabriel on it who said he is the archangel Gabriel and he was warning the entire time that Captain Ahab of the Pequod should never go after Moby Dick and uh apparently according to Gabriel the fact that the Jeroboam ship had an epidemic on it was because uh, his captain had disobeyed, and also one of the mates aboard the Jeroboam was thrown overboard while pursuing Moby Dick, and and he drowned. So Gabriel is attributing all of this to the men aboard his ship disobeying his prophecies. And now uh, Captain Ahab finds a letter aboard his ship that's supposed to be delivered to the Jeroboam ship, and it's actually addressed to Macy, the dead mate, who was the dead chief mate, right? Exactly. He was he was killed by Moby Dick, supposedly. And Gabriel says that's because Macy didn't obey. So this letter is addressed to the dead Macy, and Ahab tries to give it to the other ship, and Gabriel rejects it. He he stabs the letter through with a knife and then throws the knife on board the Cherubim as it sails away. And so that's totally uncalled for. Gabriel's just being really rude here to yeah. not even let uh, 
the dead man's the dead man's crew receive his letter. Yeah. Well, well the funny thing is, Mayhew is always trying to shut him up too, and he can't yeah. do it. Gabriel keeps interrupting. Yep. Mayhew wants to get rid of Gabriel, but all the men on the ship are terrified of Gabriel, and they don't want to see him released. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, just the fact that all of these men on the Jeroboam are so fearful of Gabriel. It shows how common it was to believe in God and the Bible back at that time, that these men were actually pretty God-fearing to the point of actually being gullible where Gabriel says he's an archangel and they still believe him because they, they knew the Bible and they believed the Bible so much. Right, right. So in some ways, I do think that when you're out on the whale ship for three years, it's easy to get <laughs> to get buffooned <laughs> right. by a scaramouch <laughs> that says he's the, the uh, angel Gabriel. So that, I think there's some really interesting things here. Um one is that, uh, as you were saying, even in our last program, that even though this guy is crazy, what he does say to Ahab is true. You know, if you keep going after this whale, you're dead. I mean, really, in, in many ways, you know, he chewed off one of his legs. Why would you want to go back after him? I mean, <laughs> just to me, it's like, okay, one leg missing is enough. You know, <laughs> that, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, Ahab is really driven by revenge obviously to get moby dick back for moby dick biting off his leg but at the same time it's almost like ahab attaches everything evil in the universe to this one whale and he's trying to slay all evil all darkness that's ever caused him any suffering in life he he blames everything wrong with his life on moby dick and has to kill this thing right right I think it's interesting that, you know, in discussions with your grandfather, Mr. Gerald Fleury, talking about Ahab, is in some ways we have to, I think, be honest. And the, the guy really was talented, and he really did have great skills. I mean, he, he uh, earlier in the book, we've discussed about how he would stay up late at night and, and measure the charts to find out where he would be next, because he knew where they would go. I mean, he, he knew the underlying channels in the sea where that where these whales would kind of just sun themselves i guess and, you know or, or spend the weekend and so and then of course there was the rachel the ship the rachel that the captain lost two of his sons and he wanted uh, ahab to stop hunting for moby dick and help find his sons he wouldn't do that he was not going to give up the the job that he was expected to do or what he thought he was expected to do and i think i think that's true of all of us that want to be leaders is we have to really stick to the plan we really have to stay with it and in some ways ahab had his faults but in some ways we can still learn lessons from someone like that and of course even your grandfather's talked about steve jobs and you know things like that and that guy he realized he was going to die young, and he said, I'm not going to die without accomplishing something. And, of course, uh, Apple, although their products aren't necessarily uh, being used correctly, but Apple, he developed a lot of amazing things. So, anyway, I, I just wanted to um, go over. We're still in this Chapter 71, and uh, I think what I'd like to do is uh, just – just go back to this page 345 and in the middle of the page 
And just to show how Melville is trying to give us a real balance here, and he's talking about uh, in terms of accidents in the in the whaling industry, he says it is well to parenthesize here that of the fatal accidents in the sperm whale fishery, this kind is perhaps almost as frequent as any. Sometimes nothing is injured but the man who is thus annihilated. Oftener the boat's bow is knocked off, or the high board in which the headsman stands is torn from its place and accompanies the body. But strangest of all is the circumstance that in more instances than one, when the body has been recovered, not a single mark of violence is discernible, the man being stark dead. So I think what he's saying, it's the same thing with Macy. Even though he was knocked out by the tail, he drowned. There's no, like, he's... he's Back wasn't broken. His neck wasn't broken. Does this whale really know how to use that tail? <laughs> That's almost poetry, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, uh, it says, The whole calamity with the falling form of Macy was plainly descried from the ship. Raising a piercing shriek, the vile, the vile, Gaby called off the terror-stricken crew from the furthest hunting of the whale. And so it looks like Gabriel got through to the crew, and once once Macy was knocked out, they're done. They're not going to look for the whale because they're all chickens. <laughs> Macy was not a chicken. It says the terrible event clothed the archangel with added influence because his credulous disciples believed that he had specifically foreannounced it instead of only making a general prophecy, which anyone might have done. So have chanced it to hit one of the many marks in the wide margin allowed. He became a nameless terror to the ship. <laughs> Mayhew, having concluded his narration, Ahab put such questions to him that the stranger captain could not forbear inquiring whether he intended to hunt the white whale if opportunity should offer, to which Ahab answered, I, straightway. Then Gabriel once more started to his feet, glaring upon uh, the old man and vehemently exclaimed with downward-pointed finger, Think, think of the blasphemer, dead and down there, Beware of the blasphemer's end. <laughs> so, so now, now he's calling Macy a blasphemer. Says Ahab stolidly turned aside and then said to Mayhew, Captain, I have just bethought me of my letter bag. There is a letter for one of your officers, if I mistake not. Starback, look over the bag. Says every whale ship takes out a goodly number of letters for various ships whose delivery to the persons to whom they may be addressed. Uh, we don't need to read all of that. Let's skip down. And this is obviously referring to a letter to Macy from his wife. It says, Soon Starbuck returned with a letter in his hand. It was surly, tumbled, damp, and covered with a dull, spotted green mold. So not only was this letter on the ship, it's been on the ship for months, maybe years, because it's covered in green mold. <laughs> so, Well, it's it's kind of a crazy practice that they would load these ships with letters because it, like Ishmael says it depends on the mere chance of somehow two ships crossing close enough to see each other in the midst of this vast ocean when really a ship could just go to land at different spots and probably get their letters a lot faster than than passing back and forth and not seeing the ship that had all the letters on it so yeah. It's a it's a strange practice, it seems, to, yeah. to load up these ships with letters like that and try to have them locate a moving target on the ocean when they don't even know what to expect out there. Yeah, that just shows how how limited the technology was because right now you could 
basically you can use a satellite and get internet and talk to each other. I know I've never, ever been on an ocean liner. I just have no desire. I don't care if it's a love boat. I don't care if it's a Disney boat. There is no way I will ever want to get on a boat. Now, my wife, uh, when, when she was in college, she was in a uh, French program, and she went and studied in France, and she had to go over on a boat. And I thought, man, that's great, but I, I don't have any desire to ever, to ever do that. Can you imagine how, how it would look if you're just out in the middle of the ocean? I mean, there's no mountains, there's no trees, there's, it's just flat. Also, there's a lot of water. <laughs> well, Ishmael talks about that earlier in the book as well, how at least on land you can see everything. And so if there are threats, you can see it, you can know how to face it. Yet when it comes to the water, all the threats are hidden below the surface. It's a lot more intimidating out there. Yeah. One thing I think that's really interesting about this book, and I can't wait to talk to Melville uh, in The Second Resurrection, but if you look at the whaling industry and the way America took control of it, I mean, it really gave this country wealth. It really put us on the map, you know, as the promises of Abraham. Because, it, I mean, we were just extremely wealthy. The only thing that really stopped the whale industry was the oil industry. And that put us on the map again. <laughs> and so you can see that promises to Abraham that the United States and Britain would have all these, you know, these birthright wealth and the land, and I mean, it just goes to show that this whaling industry was what helped get everything really going in the 1800s. And here Melville is writing about it. But also, I think, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but Melville also saw society breaking down at the same time, even though there was a lot of wealth. Remember now, this is just, he wrote this right before the Civil War. And so there was a lot of problems, you know, in America at that time. And here we are, how many years later, we're back in the same kind of a situation. Well, that's right. And it, it is interesting the way that Ishmael narrates the book. And he has certain impressions of different people based on what they look like. And, and it does get into a little bit of the race relations and international relations and, and how should we treat each other? How should different people of different religions treat each other as well? Uh, there is a lot in there, and obviously we all have a lot of natural prejudices, and maybe some of those are good, maybe some of those are bad, but it seems like Melville's really interested in this book, figuring out, okay, well, obviously different people think different ways, so how can we all get along, and how can we all coexist despite being very different from each other? Right, and even Ishmael has, has a little bit of, well, I think Melville kind of puts this in there as a little bit of a joke when uh you know ishmael is trying to get to bed and he's got to sleep with queequeg and he doesn't know anything about it and then later he says it's better to sleep with a a, a cannibal than a drunken christian yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways he's telling i think melville is telling us look there might be different races but we should all be getting along right i mean just yeah. the fact that ishmael and queequeg pretty much developed this in the bosom relationship is pretty incredible. I mean, they almost, they were almost married, but in a good way <laughs> because yeah. the way that Queequeg saw it, once Ishmael participated in some of Queequeg's rituals, it was almost like 
they had the bond of a marriage, even though yeah. they were two men and they were not at all married in that sense. And they weren't. But they gay were very. Either. They were very close. Yeah, they yeah. weren't. They weren't gay either. But I think all of us. There are people today that I would consider my close friend, and uh, of course, a lot of them are right here. But I couldn't say that growing up, I wasn't close to any of my brothers, you know, and we're still not close. I haven't talked to some of them in years. But there is, there's a bond. I mean, there's even a covenant between God and men, you know, and it is a marriage covenant. But it's not corrupt like people want to think. It's just our minds have gotten so degenerate. Have you, have you noticed much about that regarding the book Moby Dick that people try to go back and say that? Ishmael and Queequeg were homosexual. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just it's just corrupt. It's wrong. It's not even true. Yeah, Ishmael doesn't even hint of any sort of no. perversion there. He's no. just saying they're close friends. Yeah. And that's, I guess maybe some people can't even imagine what that's like, and so they just assume the very worst. No, that's, that's one of the first things I always bring up in sophomore English when we read Moby Dick, is that if they get on the internet and they look at what the internet says, everyone that's gay out there says, Queequeg and Ishmael were gay. It's not true. They're just looking for a way to justify their own perversion. And Melville was not gay, so they even wanted to say that. Well, Jesus Christ and John were very similar in the Bible. You know, John laid on Christ's chest. Chest. (laughs) So that doesn't mean that you're a sodomite. No. That's a huge leap. Yeah, David and Jonathan. Closer than brothers. Yeah. Exactly. David and Jonathan were that close. So anyway, I think Melville is bringing that out. Uh, more and more that it was not that way um listen to this this is the bottom of page 346 here it says uh it says meantime ahab holding the letter muttered mr harry a woman's piney hand the man's wife i wager i i mr harry macy ship jeroboam what it's macy and he's dead he says poor fellow poor fellow from his wife's side mayhew but let me have it and he said, Nay, keep it yourself, cried Gabriel to Ahab. You are soon going that way. So Mayhew wants to clamp this guy because he won't even let him have the letter. You know, he, he wants Ahab to keep it. And he says, Curses, throttle thee, yelled Ahab. Captain Mayhew, stand by now to receive it. And taking the fatal missive from Starbuck's hands, he caught it in the slit of the pole and reached it over towards the boat. But as he did so, the oarsmen expectantly desisted from rowing. The boat drifted a little towards the ship's stern, so that if by magic the letter suddenly ranged along with Gabriel's eager hand, he clutched it in an instant, seized the boat knife, impaling the letter on it, sent it thus, uh, loaded back into the ship. It fell at Ahab's feet. Then Gabriel shrieked out to his comrades to give way with their oars, and in that manner, the mutinous boat rapidly shot away from the Pequod. <laughs> so here the crew is listening to Gabriel. And they, they got out of the way. And it says, uh, As after this interlude, the seamen resumed their work upon the jacket of the whale, many strange things were hinted in reference to this wild affair. So they were still, uh, that gets all the way back to chapter 70. They were still, you know, working on the whale. And they had his head cut off and all that. But uh, I think even Ishmael has some sad things to say about when they put the whale back in the water and it floats away. So, well, so. A- so it's interesting here because Ahab is trying to give the letter to Mayhew because he says, well, Mayhew is going to see Macy's wife sooner than our ship will. And 
Gabriel says, actually, you're going to die and you'll see Macy himself and you can give Macy the letter in the depths of the watery grave yourself, which is why Ahab starts cursing at him. He gets furious at Gabriel for basically threatening his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. All right. So let's slip over to chapter 81. The title of this chapter, everyone, is The Pequod Meets the Virgin. This is uh, another thing I think that happened out there. The Germans were not necessarily um, big whalers. I mean, America really dominated this this industry. And uh, here we go. It says, The predestinated day arrived, and we duly met the ship Jungfrau, Derek de Deer, master of Bremen. Now, Jungfrau means the young virgin. Said at one time the great whaling people in the world, the Dutch and the Germans, are now among the least. But here and there, at very wide intervals of latitude and longitude, you still occasionally meet with their flag in the Pacific. For some reason, the young flower seemed quite eager to pay her respects, while yet some distance from the Pequod, she rounded to and dropping a boat, her captain was impelled towards us, impatiently standing in the bowels instead of the stern. What has he in his hand there? cried Starbuck. Now, this is the chief, uh, the chief mate, pointing to something wavingly held by the Germans. Impossible, a lamp feeder. And so, so, uh, essentially what, what, uh, I think Melville is getting at is they really weren't that great wellers. <laughs> they weren't getting any oil and they were running out on their own boat. Right. So the, <laughs> so the German captain's coming over to the Pequod to beg for oil. Right. And it's incredible. The, the Pequod crew generously gives him what he needs. And it seems like it's mainly just so that the the captain of the Virgin can have light by his bed before he goes to sleep. <laughs> it's not like it's a life or death matter, but this, this captain still goes over to beg them, and they still give him some oil so yeah. that he can light light his candle. Yeah, at, at first what they thought was he wanted coffee. Because <laughs> he wanted just a good cup of coffee, but but actually he needed the oil, and uh, I think the thing is, if if you think about it, can you imagine just being stranded on the ocean, and at night it's so pitch black, just nothing, you can't see anything, because you can't see the water. I mean, there's no lights on the water. Right, it's so, dark for a lot longer than you need to sleep. Probably twelve, yeah. thirteen hours a lot of the time. Out. Freak you out. They know? probably. I mean, unless they had candles, they would have just ended up sleeping a lot more than we would today just because what else can you do when it's dark? So they yeah. just would sleep more probably. They probably were a lot healthier in a lot of ways for that reason too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just amazing, you know, what, what goes on there. Um, I, I think it's interesting. It says, uh, as he had mounted the deck, Ahab abruptly accosted him without at all heeding what he had in his hand, but in his broken lingo, the German soon evinced his complete ignorance of the white whale. So what do you think? <laughs> uh, you know, when you look at Ahab, the guy can hardly speak English. He speaks German. He can't speak German. So what is he to, to Ahab? Totally useless. <laughs> <laughs> because what does Ahab want? Yeah, he just wants to know about Moby Dick. Yeah. And Where's the white whale? Have you seen it? Every gam, every social gathering between two ships is completely use, useless to Ahab. But at the same time, this is bad for Ahab's crew's morale because they want to be able to talk to some new people sure. every once in a while. 
but yeah. Ahab doesn't really let them do it because he only cares about catching the whale. Right. And the thing is, what we have to realize is, is Ahab hijacked the Pequod. It's not actually out hunting for whales. It's hunting for one whale. And they did happen to catch a couple other whales, but Ahab didn't really care if they did. He didn't really want them to. No. But his crew still made sure to catch some other whales as well right. because they're just – he has an incredibly good crew. Yeah. Ahab has a great crew on yeah. board with him. And thankfully, they're still accomplishing the mission even though Ahab only cares about one specific whale. Right. Ahab brings these five men on board that are like ghosts, and they appear out of nowhere one day, and the owners of the ship didn't approve of these five men being on the ship. They don't approve of Ahab only chasing Moby Dick, but doesn't matter. Ahab just cares about doing what he wants to do, and he's actually pretty good at rallying the men to support him, even though he's basically hijacked the ship, like you said. Yeah, and I think that's that's one other thing about we could say about Ahab that I think um, is true of a lot of leaders, but there are some leaders that can get a kind of like a demonic control over people, and of course, you know, we've talked about that about President Obama. I mean, he'd go out in front of reporters, and they all just would swoon. They wouldn't ask any tough questions, and I think Ahab had the same quality. Absolutely. And, and he got all of them on their side. Even Ishmael, if you remember, way <laughs> back in the middle of the book. You know, he's having that thing at night and they're doing the drinking and all that. And Ishmael said, yeah, I joined with him too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're all drinking from the same cup yeah. and they're crossing harpoons like they're putting all hands in to do a cheer together except they're just using their harpoons. Yeah, it's, it's something, it's like, to me it was something like out of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he offered them a gold coin <laughs> offered them and a they, gold. All, they all just like yeah. involuntarily shouted in support of Ahab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, the German captain is absolutely useless to him. But then all of a sudden... Eight whales show up, and it's just absolutely mayhem. <laughs> and this German captain that had just been begging them now jumps overboard onto his boat and starts to get the, the head start to chase down these whales. And he, to beat them at it. Right. <laughs> and he's signaling to his ship to drop more boats in the water so that they can get these whales before the Pequod crew can. Yeah. So he shows absolutely no gratitude. And at one point... To move faster through the water, the German captain throws the oil and the lantern overboard, even even though the Pequod had just given him that oil. Yeah. So he's so confident, apparently, that he's finally going to get one whale that he gets rid of all the oil that he did have, that, yeah. they, that the Pequod gave to him. Yeah. Just a really foolish idea for someone who couldn't catch a single whale. Yeah. Just to throw over all that oil. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's like they're the master race. They're going to beat everybody to the whales. Right. He, you know? he somehow thought that throwing over a little bit of oil would lighten his boat enough to make them faster. Yeah, and what what happens? Who do they what do they catch? Well, they don't really <laughs> You mean the Germans? They don't catch anything. <laughs> yeah. But it says at the middle of the page there it says, "Now the game having risen to leeward, he and another three German boats that soon followed him had considerably the start of the Pequod's keels. There were eight wells, an average pod. Aware of their danger, they were all going abreast with great speed, straight before the wind, rubbing their flanks as closely as so many spans of horses in harness. They left a great wide wake as though continually unrolling a great wide parchment on the sea. Full in this rapid wake and many fathoms in the rear swam a huge 
humped old bull. So, so who do they catch? They get that diseased old whale. <laughs> they get whale the diseased old whale. With a cutoff fin. Yeah. So the Pequod has no trouble getting this. They have their three harpooners that are just world class, it seems like. You have Queequeg, Tashtigo, and Dagu. And they, they all three harpoon this whale. And so the Germans have no chance and they're, they're vanquished in this race to the whale. Yeah. But then the whale starts to sink. And once it's attached to the Pequod, it starts pulling over the Pequod. <laughs> and so they have to cut the whale loose that they just harpooned. Killed. Yeah. 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 It was no big success. Let's <laughs> no. put it that way. Well, listen, guess, guess where we are again. That's all the time we have for today's program. Now on our next program, we will continue on the path of these final chapters. We'll finish chapter 81 and we'll begin chapter 91. Now remember, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You also may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. I buy a lot of my books from ABE Books and sometimes you can get perfectly fine ones for very little money. You may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And of course, you can now check your local library since COVID-19 is over. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. And just a reminder, you can find a list of the chapters we should be reading on uh, either Twitter or on Facebook. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.